0: Good morning, and welcome to Crime Over Coffee.
1: We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today, I'm going to tell you guys the story of the disappearance of 13-year-old Lee Marine Ochi.
0: So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in.
1: In August of 1992, Lee Marine Ochi lived at home in Tupela, Mississippi with her mother, Vicki Felton. Her parents had divorced in 1981, and her dad was in the United States Army. Her mom was currently married to Barney Yarbrough, but at the time in August of 1992, they were separated. So it's just the two of them living at home alone. Vicki had remarried Barney Yarbrough previously, and... They had been living together until about a month or so before August of 1992, and they separated. So at the home in Tapello, it's now just Lee and Vicky. Lee had just turned 13 on August 21st of 1992. Her dad, in an interview, describes her as a smart, sweet little girl and saying that she loved to be hugged. She liked pizza and dogs. So a typical 13-year-old loving her dogs? Yep. (laughs) I thought it was really cute though that he said she loved to be hugged. That's just the sweetest thing. That is really cute. <laughs> On the twenty seventh, Lee and her mom woke up and had breakfast together. Lee had stayed in her mom's bed during this time. Hurricane Andrew was hitting Florida really hard, and it was bringing up storms to Mississippi as well. That night in particular, there's a lot of thunder and lightning happening, and Lee was kind of scared of storms, so she stayed with her mom in her mom's bed. But like I said, they got up, they had breakfast together, and. At about 7.40 a.m., Vicky, the mom, had decided that Lee was going to get to stay home by herself for the day while she worked, and this was apparently the first time she was okay with this, first time Lee would be staying by herself. She was 13, her mom only worked a mile and a half away, so she figured everything should be okay.
0: I'm a little nervous. I mean, I know that I was staying home alone by the time that I was 13, but I'm a little nervous because obviously this story is on our podcast. So I just get that eerie feeling when you're talking about the fact that she's going to be staying home alone.
1: Yeah, I find this very interesting. And it's something I kind of like, went off on a tangent with, because I was like, huh, because I definitely was home by myself at that age. And it was I mean, it was fine. And Tupelo is considered a small town where nothing bad ever happens, which, as we've said so many times before, you can't really just assume that. But it did have a low crime rate and it seems safe. Um, and then I was looking at Reddit because I like to go and do my research and then go to the Reddit page and just kind of see what other people are saying. And someone made a comment about the laws and how old a child can be to legally be home by themselves. And there's actually not a lot of laws for that. Most states, don't have any laws. I did see that in Illinois, they have to be at least 14. And then Maryland, it's eight, which is really young.
0: Yeah, it makes sense that there could be laws about that, though. I do know that there's not a lot of states that have that law.
1: It's just basically as long
0: as the child is not being neglected, Mm -hmm. then they're good to go.
1: And I think it makes a difference on the child themselves, if they're more mature or not. I went and found this article about it, And they're talking about different ages and kind of trying to give a good bracket for it. But they had some tips if you do have your child staying home by themselves. And most of them are the ones that you hear about like common sense ones like have their name and address memorized. Don't open the door for any strangers, which I don't think they should probably open the door for anybody unless it's like grandma. The
0: rule when I was home alone was not to answer the door to any strangers and not to answer the phone unless it was my mom or dad that like it was their number popping Mm -hmm. up because there was a tiny screen on our cordless phone that like had the number on it. Yeah and they likely didn't have that because
1: it was 1992. I don't know if they had caller ID. I doubt they did back then. I can't imagine they did. But one of the tips on this article I read, which I think is just a good idea. It says to designate like a safe house for the child to go to if something were to happen, like some type of location or a person's house that's nearby that they know. And I was like, that's a really good idea to have. Like if something happens or you feel unsafe and you can't like call the police or call mom, Go to this spot. Yeah, and so I work with a lot of kids with
0: in my job with developmental disabilities and this is something that we always like drill into their head is that they should have a safe spot that they can go. But there's also here in Indiana, I don't know if this is across the United States or what, but here in Indiana, there's buildings that have on there a little yellow triangle sign and it says safe place. And that is considered a safe place in the community for kids to go. So libraries, police departments, like McDonald's, some of those places have those little signs and that's an indicator that the kid can go there and they will
1: help them. That's really interesting. I've definitely seen those, but I, I mean, i I didn't put much thought into it. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, they're letting you know it's safe. It's like, <laughs> it's not like they were stating the obvious, maybe. It's more for children that need a place to go
0: to know that they can look for those yellow signs and that's somewhere that they can go and find
1: safety. Which makes sense to make it like a school or a library or those kind of locations. The plan was for later in the day... Lee's grandma was going to pick her up and take her to her open house for her middle school. I believe she was going to be starting seventh or eighth grade, but her grandma was going to pick her up and take her and they're going to get dinner. Pretty normal day. Lee was just going to hang out at home. I did see a lot of people commenting about the fact that Lee didn't just go to her grandma's house when her grandma lived so close if she was going to be picking her up later and why she stayed home alone when that was an option. But I think... You can look back now and say that, but I think at the time, I mean, it was she was 13. She was in middle school. It seemed okay.
0: Well, and I'm wondering if it was kind of the mom's thought process. You know, the grandma is so close. I'm close because I'm at work only a mile and a half away, and she's 13. This is a good chance for her to learn some responsibility and to be kind of trusted to do this on her own. that That's your goal as a parent is to get your kids to be able to do things on their own and... That's that's a step. So every
1: parent has to take that step at some point. The mom was probably just like, "Now's the time." Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I don't see anything that weird about it. But looking back, obviously, which I'm getting ahead of you guys, (laughs) so I'm going to continue the story. Because of the hurricane and the storms and stuff, Vicki called Lee pretty early on after she got to work at 830. So she left at 740, was at work, and at 830 she called home to check on Lee and make sure she's okay because there were some tornado warnings getting issued and she wanted to check in. But Lee does not answer the phone and her mom's pretty worried instantly. She tries to call her again right after and Lee doesn't answer so her mom heads home. She was nervous enough about it that she just kind of was, she told her boss, I'm going to head home and check on my daughter. She's not answering. And that's something else. This case gets a lot of controversy with the mom, I think. And they talk about the fact that why would she be calling so early on? And they think it looks suspicious that she called so quickly after she went to work to check on her. I don't think it's suspicious. I mean, I work with a lady that checks on her kids when they're home alone, at least every hour.
0: So I know that when I was young and I would stay home alone, my mom would always, she would call shortly after she arrived Mm -hmm. at work to make sure that we were awake because my brother and I would sleep in (laughs) all day if we could. And so my mom would call us shortly after she was at work. I mean, she got to work at eight. She's probably calling us by nine to make sure we were getting up and doing something with our lives instead of sleeping. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's that weird, but tell
1: me more and then I'll let you know if I think it's weird. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Vicky comes home and the garage door is open and the light in there is on, which is strange to her because she thought she shut it. And if the light's on, it was on one of the sensor ones. So it means it would have been activated just within the past couple minutes. The door to the house was also unlocked and all the lights were off. Vicky yelled into the house, Lee... And got no answer in return. And so she walks in and instantly sees blood splattered on the walls. And she said she screamed, went outside and checked the backyard. Lee's not out there. And then she calls 911. And at 9 a.m., 911 receives the phone call.
0: I don't even want to imagine what that would have been like, that feeling. I Like, I feel like you'd walk in, you'd see that, and your heart would just drop to the floor.
1: I can't even imagine It's one of my biggest fears. And sometimes I in my head, I'm like, I'm never gonna have kids because I don't want to have to go through the possibility of losing a child. That just sounds so gut wrenching. Police arrive very quickly. And they find blood stains in the hallway, and in the bathroom and on the bathroom countertop, which on the countertop, it looked like it was kind of like a light pink is how they described it. It looked like someone had tried to clean it up, but they did not find any rags or towels or anything like that around. They also found blood and hair on the doorframe into the kitchen. They theorized that possibly Lee hit her head on that or got her head smashed into it some way. In Lee's bedroom, they found her blue nightgown and her bra that she had been wearing for bed the night before. And it was inner bedroom with blood on it as well. However, Lee's shoes, reading glasses, some underclothes is how they say it. I took it as underwear and bra possibly, and a sleeping bag, and then some shorts were missing, which is very strange, especially that sleeping bag in there. That's Yeah, that's a little strange. All the blood in the house was super fresh. It was still wet. It had to have happened just moments before, which, I mean, it was really only an hour time frame about an hour between Vicky leaving and coming back home.
0: So the way you described it, it's seeming like there was a lot of blood, but was there actually a lot of blood or is it just in a lot of places? Like, do
1: they think that somebody could survive after losing that much blood? There was enough that they determined that someone either was very seriously injured or murdered there. It wasn't enough to lean completely one way or the other. I think all the blood was type O. And that's all they got from that. It was early on in blood and DNA testing. So all they had was the type of blood. And is that the type that Lee was? You know, on the Missing Exploited Children's website, it says that her blood type is A or O. I'm not sure how they don't know that. I don't know on that one. I think it's weird. It was a hurdle I was trying to get through when I was researching this because they talk about the type O blood in the house, but then I couldn't find her blood type anywhere definitively.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know the logistics behind blood type and everything. And I, I don't know where they, when did they start taking your blood type at like at birth? Were they doing it back then? I'm
1: not sure. Or were they just guessing that it was A or O based on her parents' blood type? I think that's what they were doing is guessing from that because I mean, I don't know what my blood type is. Either. I've been, that's a conversation I've been having with my mom recently, actually, because I asked her about it. She's like, I don't know. And I was like, why don't we know? <laughs> but anyway, so it could be hers, but it also very well could be an attacker or someone else. There's a thousand theories you can go into with that. But it, like I said, it was before a lot of blood analysis and DNA came into play. I did say that they theorized that Lee hit her head and that left the hair and blood on the kitchen doorframe. It was determined to be someone who is about five feet tall and Lee was four foot 10. So I think that's where they got that from. There was no sign of forced entry. But as I said, when Vicky got home, the door was unlocked and the garage door was open. So that kind of points to either someone who Lee knew and trusted and would have let in, or someone who had access to the house. Or if you like to look at it like the Criminal Minds episodes, where people are just able to open your garage door with a universal opener. Which is creepy, and luckily, I mean, that's just a show,
0: but I know that they base their episodes off of some real-life things, which is creepy.
1: Yeah, I really do hope that you can't actually get an opener that opens other people's garages. Like, I hope they're specific to just yours. But I mean, something to think about is how easy it is to get access to something like that. You know, when we moved, like you still have the opener in your car, it's still connected to your, like your old house, really, unless they change it. I just think there's definitely ways around that. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's just another thing
0: you need to add to your list of safety precautions. When you move into a new house, you change your locks, also change your garage door opener, things
2: like that. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15
1: and they come up with nothing. They try to bring dogs in, but they can't get a scent. Remember, there's less than ideal weather conditions going on, which really covered up any evidence they could have found around the house. So police are trying to figure out who could have been Lee's abductor, who would motive, what, is it just a random person who saw an opportunity or what? obviously, as they always do, look at the people in Lee's life first. She had a boyfriend who was 12 at the time and went to a different school, but they did not suspect him. I think that, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> also, how serious of a boyfriend can you really have at 12? <laughs> her biological dad was stationed in Virginia at the time of the disappearance, so he's got an airtight alibi. Her stepfather, who Vicki and her stepfather were separated, but from what I could tell, he had an alibi as well so they don't suspect him at all. They also did polygraphs on the biological father and the stepfather and they passed. So now they kind of turn to the mom. Wait, let me guess. They do a polygraph on her and she fails. Whether or not that's because she was lying or because she
0: was in distress because her daughter was missing, who knows? But they're going to point it towards the fact that she had something to do with it.
1: Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Erica. (laughs) Vicky, in fact, failed three polygraphs, one done by the police and two done by the FBI when they come in. Now, like you said, does that actually mean she's involved? It's not admissible in court, that's for sure. Police and investigators and people at the scene and around Vicki at the time describe her as aloof and detached. They also question why she called Lee to check on her so early after going into work and they start to put a lot of suspicion on her. It kind of
0: does start to seem like maybe she's stacking up an alibi if you want to turn it in the way that she's the perpetrator.
1: There is a lot of stuff I think you can question and twist, but Vicky throughout the investigation cooperated fully. She's always maintained her innocence. Even the captain working the case, Bart Aguirre, does not believe that Vicky was involved. And that's really all they have for evidence. There's a couple things that are about to come up, though. Shortly after the disappearance, an employee at McDonald's in Boonville, Mississippi, which is about 30 miles north of Tupelo, the employee reported that she saw Lee sitting in a truck and it was being driven by an African-American male. Interesting. However, the man drove off before the employee could get a better look. However, investigators tracked down the man in the truck and it was not Lee. And this was just put in the books as a false report. On September 9th, 1992, shortly after the disappearance, Vicky calls the police station. She had received a package or an envelope in the mail. It was addressed to B. Yarborough, and the mailing address was to their house. However, the street name was spelled incorrectly, and the return address had the same address. It had six stamps on it, which was excessive. Well, yeah, very excessive for the envelope. And the stamps were determined to be from Boonesville, which is where they had that false sighting just a little bit ago. So about 30 miles away. And inside the envelope were Lee's missing reading glasses. Creepy. And I don't know if you guys remember, but B. Yarborough is the initial name for the stepfather. Police tried to get DNA or prints or anything from that, and they couldn't get anything from the envelope. They said the stamps were used... Or stuck down with water and like the envelope wasn't licked it was all with water but now as I'm saying that I'm thinking stamps don't need something to stick typically they're already sticky now they do before you used to have to lick them and then put them down okay police believe that these were sent to Vicky as a way to kind of mislead the investigation and that's about all that comes of that what do you think
0: well first I'm gonna ask a question because you said that So they were one hundred percent determined to actually be Lee's missing reading glasses. Yes. They weren't like a similar pair or anything.
1: I mean I didn't examine them myself. The police say they were Lee's glasses though.
0: (laughs) So I do have a question. Was there a letter or anything with the glasses or it was just the glasses? Just the glasses. I kind of, in my head, I kind of took that more as like a taunt and not necessarily to try to throw off the investigation, but more to taunt the mother and be like, I have your daughter or I killed your daughter or something more psychological.
1: That's exactly where my mind went to. I was like, oh, it's somebody who has these kind of like sadistic tendencies. They want to make her suffer even more than she already is. However, a lot of other people take it as maybe if you believe the mother was involved trying to take suspicion off her i guess herself if they come from a weird place or i don't know i could see that as well
0: i do think it's weird that it was also boonesville where the like reported sighting was Mm -hmm. was this after or before the reported sighting i don't remember
1: i'm not sure exactly the date of the sighting i know that these two events happened around the same time though
0: because i was just thinking if the sighting had already happened and the mother was like if the mother had done it or been involved she might have thought oh the sighting happened in boonsville let's connect that and bring that back in as that's a possibility there's something going on there
1: and so she bought the stamps there that is a very good like point like i wonder how long it took them to track down the vehicle and clear that sighting because if somebody heard about that possible sighting in boonsville they might have taken advantage of that Mm hmm. That's
0: kind of where my mind went. But I mean, there's just I feel like this is so far with what you've given me. And I don't know if you have anything else to add. But with what you've given me, you can twist it to be any way. You can twist everything that the mother's done to be, oh, this is her trying to cover her butt. Or, oh, this is her trying to find her daughter. And there's not been anything that you've given me so far that I'm like, oh, this is 100%
1: where I would lean. Mm hmm. Well, what's interesting about the letter, too, is the fact that the street name was spelled incorrectly. So they live on Honey Locust, and on the envelope with the glasses in it, they spelled honey without the E. So H-O-N-Y. They did, which could point to someone maybe who's a little bit lower on like their education level, possibly. They did a handwriting analysis on it. And they couldn't yield any results from that. So I think, I assume they compared it to the handwriting samples of people in Lee's life. So a a couple
0: things. One, that once again could be twisted. The mom could have written the letter and spelled honey wrong to make them question and make them think it wasn't her because she would know how to spell her street name. You can also talk about the fact that the mom could have written the letter, but just not used her handwriting. She could have written it with her non-dominant hand because then she would have had maybe a little bit of a different handwriting and then you couldn't compare the samples. I mean, there's all these different things that you can kind of talk about Or whoever did it, even if it was somebody involved in Lee's life, could have not written it in their normal handwriting. Or was there evidence, and I have no idea if you know this or if it was released, where the letter itself like came from was there any postal tracking at all back then like did the mail carrier no
1: like remember putting it in the mailbox or what they determined due to the stamps and tracking it is that it was put in a like a mailbox you drop them into to get mailed out from boomsville and that's as far as they could get it they got dropped in there and went through all the processes and procedures to get to the house so like
0: i could have driven there dropped it off, mailed it to myself, and then it would have made its way to me. Okay, so the mom could have, in theory, done it, but it also could have been somebody trying to somehow make the mom look more suspicious, or it could have been the mom trying to throw the trail off of her.
1: It, I really feel like it could be spun anyway. I'm, it really can, and that's the issue with it, is like, it's got enough for you to question all these things, but it's also got so little evidence with it. I mean- And why just her glasses? That was an odd thing to
0: just... Was there any evidence that the mom and her had gotten into any fights recently or, like, any sort of motive for the mom to do something to her daughter?
1: Not that... I don't think so. There were rumors that maybe she and Lee didn't get along or maybe her stepdad was, like, there were abuse rumors, but there is nothing that corroborated that. Um, Police don't consider that reliable. Like, they... It's just hearsay. It's just rumors. I wondered the same thing because I was like, why would she, like, why would she have murdered her daughter? And I can't find anything of why she would. But, I mean, you never really know what's going on in someone's life. There's a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors. But, you know, I think it does say a lot that all the police who are investigating it and Captain Aguirre don't consider her a suspect. And he's the one who is primarily investigating it. And I think that says a lot. I think that does say something. Another thing that
0: I kind of thought of with the envelope, with the misspelling, was in relation to the John Bonet case, because in that ransom note, and depending on which way you lean, some people lean towards it not being the family, and some people lean towards it being somebody in the family doing that. And, and I tend to lean more towards somebody in the family, as if you listen to our episode, you can hear more about that. But in that one, it was the same thought process was that the family was trying to throw it off from it being them by misspelling certain things.
1: That's definitely a case that this one gets compared to often because, you know, it's hard to really have a good hypothesis on who is the culprit when it can be so polarized. Mm -hmm. She's always cooperated with police and stuff. And I mean, for me, I lean away from it. I don't see any reason why she would have wanted to get rid of Lee.
0: I'm not seeing it, but I, I can see where people get the idea mm-hmm. that the mom had something to do with it.
1: Now, I want to kind of talk with you about some stuff from this scene that we haven't hit yet. So let's assume that it is an outside perpetrator who is maybe staking Lee out, like watching her and saw the opportunity. For you, because it's something I don't know how to account for, how do you account for the stuff that was missing? Her, I mean, her glasses were gone, her sleeping bag, a short, some shorts and undergarments. It's interesting that all those items would be missing. I do
0: definitely think that that is odd. Who is the one, I'm assuming that Vicky's the one that reported those as missing items. Yeah, I think so.
1: She knew, I know specifically that she knew like the shorts and maybe some of the undergarments were items of clothing that lee had just gone for her birthday previously because remember her birthday was just shortly before her disappearance and noticing that those new clothes were gone if you want to spin it to the
0: mom being the one doing it you could just say that she took those items and got rid of them kind of as a way to kind of make the question kind of like what's a countermeasure. yeah kind of
1: because then you have this question of well why would all of these things be gone well in my brain and it's just I hate that this is where I went, but I did. The sleeping bag, maybe if she was murdered in the house, that was used to hide her body, to take her. I did think about that as well. I also, I go back and question, if these items are missing, like say they wanted, maybe they got blood on them and they want to take them. Why is the bloody nightgown and bra still there? Those two things, I think, kind of confuse me the most. I did see this person's comment on reddit when i was reading through this case that i didn't even think about it but i think it's very interesting they talk about maybe her gown and bra were on the top of her like hamper or something and the perpetrator grabbed it to try to wipe up the blood that's possible I thought that was very interesting i was like oh that i could see that um, They're talking about, because it's the nightgown and stuff that she was wearing, so either she, the perpetrator, undressed her, or she'd undressed before, but somehow the scot like, got the blood on them and got incorporated. So I think for me, I'm trying to figure out how, I think those are staples to kind of figure out what's going on, because how did those fit into the story, to the crime, to what happened? For those of you who can't see, I can see, I can see Erica's wheels turning in her head. <laughs>
0: Well, I was thinking
1: more along the lines of
0: that was what she was wearing when it happened, when something happened, and then the perpetrator undressed her and changed her clothing in order to move her in their vehicle so as to not get a ton of blood in their vehicle. Makes sense. That was where my head went with it.
1: I mean, why would you, like, and that's the thing with the clothes missing. Did they dress her in those, or did she change and put those on for the day, or... How does that incorporate as well, I wonder. Because if she did change, I I think it makes sense that she had changed for the day. And the nightgown and bra maybe were just laying on the ground and got blood on them. And that's possible too, yeah.
0: But maybe they did try Because you said that there was like a spot somewhere that it looked like maybe they kind of started to wipe up blood. So maybe. And I kind of thought this in my head in regards to the mother being a possible suspect, is if she accidentally ended up murdering her daughter for some reason, maybe they got into some dispute. She accidentally slammed her head on the doorframe and was like, oh shit, I just like killed my daughter, went into panic mode, started to clean it up, realized there's way too much blood. I can't clean this up. And then either changed her clothes and put her into some new clothes so that she could transport her. But then there's all these questions of like, how did the mom have time to move the body before she got to work and then got back home? That's There's not a whole lot of time there. And if she did, where did she put the body? And was it ever, I know you're going to we'll probably get into it later, but if if it was, was it found anywhere near the house? Did the mom put it somewhere for a little bit and then go back for it and move it again? I've got all these questions in my head in regards to whether or not it could even be the mom, Like if it's even possible. But then I guess anything is really possible. And if you do it right, you you can get away with it.
1: Exactly. Now, a little over a year later after the disappearance, some skeletal remains were found nearby and were positively identified as Lee. But two days later, the medical examiner's office retracted that. They said they were identifying her solely by the skull and they got more remains in and realized that it was not Lee. It was, in fact, a 27-year-old Named Pollyanna Sue Keith, who had gone missing in March of '93, which I think probably absolutely destroyed the family. To have that identification and maybe finally start to get some answers and closure, and then it just gets pulled away. That would be awful. Yeah, I do feel bad for the family for that one. Now I'm gonna throw in one more theory into the mix here. In this is a theory that I assume police investigated, but it's one specifically that Vicky, the mom, believes. She thinks she knows who did this. Interesting. Oscar Mike Kearns was a man local to the area that Vicky and Lee lived, and he attended the same church as them. He was arrested nine months after Lee's disappearance because he a fifteen year old girl from her home in Memphis and sexually assaulted her and then released her. And he actually had met her through a church as well. Interesting. And Vicky thinks it's similar, you know, around the same age, girl young girl going missing. And Vicky is adamant that Lee would never open up the door for a stranger. So she thinks someone they know is involved.
0: Well, I was gonna say, it would make sense to open the door up for somebody that you know through church. because mm-hmm. In your head, church is a safe place. So you, the people
1: that go there, you probably feel comfortable with. He also was a Bible school teacher as well and had this kind of shared love and interest of horses that he him and Lee chatted about through the church and stuff. Lee also loves horses and they talked about horseback riding at stables nearby as well. And he lived in Tupelo, just like Vicky and Lee, actually just a mile away from the home.
0: I do have the question, though, you can take this either way. But if he did take Lee, he would have only had a very short period of time because the mom left work at 7.40 and called home by 8.30. I mean, I guess he still could have been there at 8.30 when she called home. But she was home by 9, you said. And that's, I mean, that's less than an hour, basically. It's a little over an hour, but also less than an hour. When you put it all together. When you put it all together. It's not much time for him to know that she's gone from, like, to work. leaves home alone. Because that's her first time being left home alone, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think if Oscar's involved, it points to the fact that he knew her through church, and he'd maybe been stalking her or staking her out and saw the mom leave. Something else that could have happened, we talked about that garage door being open, you know, those are kind of funky. Maybe the mom thought she shut it, but it opened back up.
0: You had mentioned that it was pointed out that she probably wouldn't have opened the door for somebody that she didn't know, but if the garage door had just opened, I have used a garage door before and thought I closed it and then come home and it's open, and whether or not and i've actually i've pressed the door watched it close and then watched it open back up oh yeah and if you're not paying attention and like making sure that that shut before you left then it's possible that that was just left open and somebody just walked
1: right in he's the perpetrator or whoever saw an opportunity Mm -hmm. because you know a lot of times with the garage door shut the door going into the house isn't locked exactly a lot of times people don't lock that because the garage door shut and they're like nobody's gonna come in yeah That's something I'm going to like, honestly, just recently within the past, like six months, I've started doing at home is locking that extra door Mm -hmm. because, you know, looking into this stuff, I'm like, I'm locking everything now. It stresses me out. I lock my windows. Like not that I feel unsafe in my area, but it's just like you hear these stories and you're like, it would be so easy for this person to get in my house. Yep. I think people lose that where like, you know, you think you're safe. And, you know, hopefully you're in a location and an area that is a safe place, but those extra precautions are never going to hurt you. They're only going to help you.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Oscar pled guilty to this sexual assault and he was sentenced to eight years, but only served four. He was released and then a year and a half later kidnapped a married couple and raped the wife. And then got sent back to prison. And he was scheduled to be released in 2019. So I assume he's out. Cool. I can't believe he only served four years for sexually assaulting a young girl. Did they ever ask him any questions in relation to Lee? I don't know if they actually investigated him. I know that he's refused to be interviewed or polygraphed for it. But I think if you're the police in investigating a disappearance of a young girl, you can still go ask him.
0: Yeah. I also think that denying a polygraph test isn't that telling because if you deny it I mean there's a lot of people that get like the mom failed the polygraph
1: test three times Mm -hmm. she could be innocent and just failed because of the distress that she was in I mean I think if I were in a situation like that I would probably deny it too because at least it might make you look a little suspicious but it's gonna make you look a lot more suspicious if you fail it for some other reason yeah you know and people. Even though it's not admissible in court, they use that to kind of sometimes rule out or rule in suspects.
0: I'm just waiting for a day where somebody invents a serum, and you take the serum, and then you tell the truth.
1: Like on um, Harry Potter. Yes!
0: Where is this in our science world? We need... We
1: all need a Severus Snape. (laughs) We do. I just feel like that would help solve so many cases. To this day, Lee's body has never been found. They've never arrested or convicted anybody for it. There was a time in August of 1997, so about five years after the disappearance, that police declared they had a suspect, but wouldn't release who it was. And I mean, no one's been arrested or charged for anything. So I assume that either didn't pan out or they didn't have enough evidence to charge them. But we also don't know who that is.
0: Yeah, I'm over here thinking it's not the mom. I lean away from her. Like you said, you do. I I mean, there's some circumstantial evidence that I guess you could tie to her if you twist it right. But if you look at it black and white, I don't think that you can pin this on her. If you start to think about all the logical things, especially the fact that she went to work and then where did she put the bot? Like, there's all of these things. And so I kind of think that either somebody she knew, she let them in or that garage door just happened to accidentally get left open and somebody saw a chance and took it.
1: There's a lot of talk and theories too on whether or not since Ali was home alone, maybe she invited a boy over or someone over the wrong person. I don't know how much I put into that. I mean, it was before the age of like talking and chatting with people online. So I feel like anybody she invited over would have been someone from like school or something. And I can't, envision a 12 year old boy like you know they talk about her boyfriend at the time being able to pull something like that off
0: yeah I don't think so
1: yeah for me ultimately I don't I don't think the family had anything to do with it unless there's like an obscure family member that they didn't talk about and we're not looking into but I think it was someone who was likely staking her out and saw that maybe the garage door is open, or she, if she did know them and opened the door for them, I think it would have had to been someone lying in wait for the moment. Lee Marine Ochi was 13 years old when she went missing. She was 4'10 and 95 pounds. She's a Caucasian female with blonde hair and hazel eyes. She also has a birthmark in the shape of a strawberry at the base of her skull, she has small scratch scars on her right leg and bumps on the skin of both of her knees. And she had her ears pierced. And she also has a lazy left eye. And that's what she wears her eyeglasses for. If anybody has any information regarding this case, you can contact the Tupelo Police Department at 662-841-6491 or Crime Stoppers of Northeast Mississippi at one 800 773 8477.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at CrimeOverCoffeePod at Outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode.